Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher with over 15 years of experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. Here on the podcast, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. Once you listen to today's episode, visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, for lots of free resources for teachers. Download any and all of them right on the homepage, including one of my most popular tools, my sequence building template. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 164. So here we are. It is the beginning of 2022. It's January 3rd, 2022, and I am so, so excited to be here with you all. I um, had a wonderful weekend, holiday, past two weeks. I hope that uh, you also had a really wonderful end to the year and a good entry into the new year. I, I know, of course, that new years can be a time that can be sort of a mixed bag for people. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling um, a little bit off or maybe feeling a little bit pressured or just anything along those lines, um, I just want to give you a shout out and just let you know that I, I hope in listening to this podcast episode, you'll find a little bit of joy. Today's episode is going to be a special one because I have a guest and I'm going to tell you about her in a moment. I just wanted to start out this episode, though, by just speaking to a particular theme. I think that the beginning of any year is a time when we all have an awareness of the renewed energy. And, you know, again, it's really um, up to you how you kind of leverage that kind of natural ebb and flow. And of course, if if you choose to kind of take this time to be introspective and and maybe look back or or you know kind of do things in in a more kind of restful uh, restorative way, that is totally totally fine. And I'm in full support of that. For those of you listening who are energized by the beginning of a new year and want to set goals and, and plan and, and buy post-it notes and do all of that kind of thing. Um, I'm going to be kind of speaking a little bit to, to you here because that is absolutely definitely um, the, the kind of person that I am and, and how I approach the beginning of the year. So I wanted to just take a moment at the beginning of this episode and in the episodes that follow in the month of January, just to speak to this idea of your 2022 vision. And I'm speaking to this in a very specific way to yoga teachers. And I want to just um, make a suggestion that before you get into buying post-it notes and Sharpie pens and all of whiteboards and all that stuff and mapping out your plan for this year, I um, invite you to consider sitting quietly this week for five to 10 minutes each morning when you awaken and just meditating. 
and just meditating and asking yourself questions when you're meditating, inquiry questions that can make rise or give rise to what your vision is for this year. And again, I'm putting a perimeter around this in terms of teaching. So maybe asking yourself, who am I here to serve? What gives me passion when I teach? What topics do I love to share about? What are classes that I've taught where I felt the most alive? You know, these are all really good journaling questions you can write down as well, that in the silence of meditation, as you drop into each one of these questions, things will come forth and they really only will come forth when you're really quiet. And that becomes the creation of your vision. And then in subsequent podcast episodes this month, I'll talk about some of the more actionable steps you can take from there in order to actually get into the planning. It's got to start though with a vision. A vision is, you know, maybe not even something you'd share with someone. They would maybe see the tangible efforts when you get down further along the line into the planning phase. Um, so that's an idea, a way for you to kick off 2022 and really start to identify like, what really is my vision for my teaching this year? I promise you the the time you spend doing this this week will really um, um, be valuable in the way the rest of the year progresses for you. It's when we just kind of roll from one year to the next. We've been teaching classes. We continue teaching those classes. We're not teaching classes, but we want to teach classes. We want to learn anatomy, but we're not sure how to approach it. We're overwhelmed with our past efforts. You know, we don't feel like we're queuing well. Whatever it is, we're just kind of doing these things and yet um, not really getting, getting where we want to go. So starting in this way allows us to, um, to really have vision and purpose. So for today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to Lorian Sarhat. And Lorian comes to us, you'll hear in the beginning of the episode, her intro, she's coming to us from Germany, Munich, I believe she said, um, although she hails from the Netherlands. And she is a very special person in that she is a martial artist, Brazilian jiu-jitsu to be specific, and she teaches trauma-informed in a trauma-informed way. She also is a yoga teacher by training. So she has both this yoga teaching and Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. And she has a studio in Germany that she runs with her husband. And she teaches not only martial arts to children and adults, but also in a trauma-informed way. And we go into this really in-depth conversation. We talk about a whole bunch of different aspects of trauma. What is trauma? How can you teach in a trauma-informed way? There's just a lot to it that I think is really important for us as yoga teachers to understand. So I'm going to roll right into that episode now. The show notes will have links for how you get in touch with her. She does have a training program that I think uh, sounds amazing and would be of real interest to yoga teachers out there. So let's go into that episode now with Lorian Sarhat, and I would love to know what you think about it. So please leave a comment, send me a DM on Instagram, and let me know what you think. And one final thing, my uh, free 30-minute yoga classes are continuing, so please check my website, and I would love to see you in a virtual class um, soon. All right, let's go into that interview with Lorian. Hello. Hi. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, yes, yes. Did you have a nice holiday? 
Yes, we did. We really did. So I'm uh, very refreshed and happy to start the new year. That is great. I have uh, similar energy. I'm very much looking forward to things. So thank you so much for making time to be here today. I am super excited to chat with you. I made a list of topics and there's just so many different topics. Um, so it's always funny when I get together with people on the podcast, sometimes I start out and I say, you know, tell me your story. <laughs> and I feel like for you, there's just so much that we, so many different areas we can go into. So I thought what might be a good jumping off point is for you to describe for the listeners what it is you do right now. And maybe when you describe that, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of different areas that we can then go into a little bit further. So just tell us a little bit about, you know, just kind of what you're doing right now. Thanks. Apologize. That is fine. We have two sisters. Like we have one, my parents have the other. <laughs> they are super happy to be together. And now they yeah. were looking, saying to me, play with me. Yeah, that's fine. Keep it keeps it real. <laughs> oh, oh yes, probably sometimes they will jump up. So when you see a tail in the screen, then you know <laughs> what it is. Um, so yeah, my name is Laurine Suhake. I come originally from the Netherlands but I live and work now in Germany with my husband. We have a yoga and martial arts school in Munich. And what sets us apart from regular uh, martial arts schools in particular and yoga a bit is that we teach in a trauma-informed way. And um, the reason we do this is that we both had our own experiences with trauma and also, and we, our way out or a part of our way out was martial arts. And we also realized that it can be so helpful with yoga, actually the same. Um, I, we became both trauma-informed instructors through the yoga, uh, the yoga part of the world uh, that's under uh, Danielle Beck. She is the co-founder of uh, the Yoga Impact Charity. She founded it in 2015 and she started off with uh, offering trauma-informed yoga classes for refugees. And now it's also kind of every, anyone, defense forces, domestic violence, like everything. So she's a psychologist and uh, we learned from her mm -hmm. and realized that the same understanding how trauma works, it doesn't really matter what it is that you teach, whether it's yoga or martial arts or in the school or volleyball or soccer, it remains the same. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially in the yoga and the martial arts world, many people with trauma or healing from trauma typically tend to choose these, um, these sports or, or practices. Also, because many doctors are like, oh, you know, maybe you had an injury, physical injury, but also, you know, oh, you had a burnout or you have depression. Why don't you do yoga? Why don't you do more mindfulness? Or in martial arts that people say, oh, you had a, I don't know, sexual assault. You want to learn to defend yourself. Why don't you start a martial art? So typically we get people that have emotional baggage and it's not so easy for them to just simply, um, you know, start doing their way. They're very verbal, these dogs. So you just want to say hello. And I think it's, I think it's like the, um, the thing that we as a coach or trainer or a yoga teacher is that we often, we don't often don't know who enters our mat space because they don't have to tell us anything. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But if they do, or if we sense something, we should be able to accommodate them and hold space. Yuki, so let me. Um, I mean, I feel like right now, the 
idea of trauma is something that is very much more in the awareness of people, which I, in general, which I think is great. And I agree with you uh, when you acknowledged um, yoga and trauma-informed yoga training as something that's much more prevalent now. I definitely agree with that and see that as well. I think though it would be helpful for us to get on the same playing field about what is trauma, because you talked a little bit about burnout, and then you also talked a little bit about, I don't think you said physical assault, but maybe sexual assault, something along those lines. And so can we define, does it really range from something like burnout, stress, all the way up into a scenario where you might have had you know, agency of your own body and being taken away from you by someone by force, or give us a sense of what that is. Yeah, so everyone will experience traumatic events, whether that later becomes a problem for us in terms of that we have maybe developed PTSD, depression, anxiety, that only happens when uh, even though the event is already in the past for our body and mind, it isn't. So when we keep on living in this constant fight or flight modus or the, the sympathetic nervous system, as it's called, um, we cannot heal. And what yoga and martial arts can do, can help for us, is that it helps us coming back into the parasympathetic nervous system so that we go more and rest and digest, and then we can heal. Mm-hmm. So with trauma, you can have, of course, uh, I mean, acute trauma, that is like when you had an accident or a loved one uh, died or um, really something is like really acute. Then you have uh, chronic trauma. Then we talk more about, you know, friends, domestic violence, bullying that just keeps on going. It's like from a longer period of time. And then there's complex trauma. And that's when you have trauma above trauma above trauma. So the example I usually give is when you are, for instance, a refugee. So you lost your family in, say, Afghanistan um, and also all the way that you try to get to safety. So say from all the way from Afghanistan, you want to go to Europe. That is also not an easy road. And they have like trauma upon trauma upon trauma. And that are, of course, that's a lot. And um, when you, for, when your system is all the time alert, looking out for perceived or possible threats, you never rest. And then you also never can process it and heal from it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, when you talk about trauma informed, um, coaching and teaching using martial arts as the modality instead of yoga. You know, Mm -hmm. I think some people might think, well, martial arts is a fighting type Mm -hmm. discipline versus yoga, which is certainly not known as being a fighting discipline. It's more strength building and meditation and meditation and motion and all those themes of the eight limbs. So how is it that martial arts becomes a helpful tool for someone who has gone through trauma? I will, I will give an example. And with that, I can explain also a little bit more what happens in the brain and what therapy does, so, so professional therapy and what um, martial arts or yoga can do. Because usually some people say, oh, martial arts saved my life. It was my therapy. That is kind of like not completely true. It is, it can be therapeutical. So yoga also can only be therapeutical. What's therapy is when you talk to a psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist. I want to be like, make this 
clean thing. So what happens in the brain when you have trauma is that we have this part called the amygdala. And some say that's the, uh, the you know, the, the fear center. It's more like the threat response center. That would be like a better way of saying it. So what happens is that when, when, when I hear the threat in, in the middle, like uh, the threat center, you have two, in, two, two kind of input. One is your memory. That can be from traumatic events and your and your from your senses. So what you see, what you hear, what you smell, that all feeds in into amygdala. And then there will come an output. And there are two ways. One is that you have a trigger. So that's more that you go into the fight, flight, freeze and fun. Um, aspect of it, which usually then results in a flashback that you maybe get cold, you feel numb, you dissociate, or it can go into a rewarding, positive, motivating kind of experience. That's both possible. So let's give an example. Say we have a woman and unfortunately she uh, experienced sexual assault. Well, the first step would be that she would seek professional help. She would talk to somebody. And what she does is by retelling and retelling that story, the first time is always the hardest, of course, and there the psychiatrist or psychologist has to be very careful and supportive. But the more you tell it, the less strong the trigger becomes. So the amygdala becomes less um, easy triggered which means that when you can talk about it and you can do something, then it's time to create a new narrative. And when you create a new narrative, you want to then associate back to that traumatic event. So in, this, in, the, in the sense of martial arts, so for instance, I teach uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is a lot of uh, physical contact. It's like ground fighting. So you bring somebody to the ground, you want to control them up to the point that they give up. So you want to submit them. And we talk about jokes, arm locks, leg locks, shoulder locks, all of that. Now, in many positions are very look very similar as when you are, for instance, sexually assaulted. So for, for a woman like that, what would be very interesting is she, she goes to a therapist. She already dims down this trigger a little bit. Then she goes to a hopefully trauma-informed school that don't feed her to the lions immediately, obviously, but build her up step by step that she um, gets a bit of feeling for being touched because that's, of course, already harsh that she learns to feel empowered in specific positions. Then the narrative starts because then she might end up in a similar position, but this time she is the victor. This time she knows how to get out. Not only that, she knows how to reverse roles and she can control her training partner, say, aggressor in this context. Then when she connects this back to that trauma, you get a story that the amygdala gets, for instance, trigger. She goes to class, it gets a trigger for, oh, this position I know it was, uh, I remember it was not nice from this sexual assault. But she also gets other memories and other type of input that it's something that she likes. So despite the fact that she once uh, experienced a very bad situation, she in a specific situation, uh, physical situation, she also learned that this physical situation can also bring her joy because it's now the sport that she loves. And that's how you can control the amygdala. It's, it's really hacking the brain, but it also helps with healing trauma and that you have an empowered, strong woman that when a guy touches her or when she's in certain positions that she won't get flashbacks or at least not as often anymore. And if so, she can better deal with that. So this would be an example. The same would be for bullying with kids. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it really is a relearning or as you say, like retelling the narrative, um, not to necessarily change 
what happened, but to just keep retelling it to kind of dilute the impact on the amygdala and the nervous system in general, so that it kind of diffuses it. And then introducing the new behaviors that they learn in the training. Um, so how, um, how, well, I guess the other question I have, and you sort of touched on this is when you work with people in this way, how do you kind of keep the focus on your area of expertise? Because I would imagine other things will come up or things will come up with the student that might be things that would be more appropriate for them to discuss with their therapist. Absolutely. So we also always say that, say the, the present and the past, that is the, the area of the therapist and the present and the future is more like that of the coach. Which means that I will never ask, I mean, you, you, I never ask what happened, because if somebody has a flashback, for instance, you don't want to, them to relive it. What they tell, they tell you, but I would never give advice or anything. What Basically, what's my goal is to figure out ways that we can reduce the triggers and that we help them with recreating the narrative. So when I have um, women's self-defense classes or courses, for instance, and I have really specifically only women, and usually these are women that have a reason why they want to be there. In the end, we have a scenario training and I asked them what kind of scenario would they like to do? And often they would then like to replay something that they experienced, but this time they are the vic victor. And um, what it does is that, again, you have this new narrative, but then you also know, like after a while, everybody has a different window of tolerance. And after a while, you get to know them. I mean, some, some you can pressure quite a bit, but some not at all. And that is kind of like you have to learn as a coach, like how much can you give? So for us, it's very important. Teach the person in front of you always, regardless whether it's yoga or martial arts, really teach the person in front of you and be careful how you approach them. So uh, I know, for instance, like the closing of your eyes, how often, how many yoga teachers have heard, oh, simply close your eyes. For somebody who does not feel safe in their own body, closing your eyes is like a very traumatic thing. It can be really triggering or potentially be traumatizing, even if it's still at a very severe level. Um, that's why it's very important that they always have choice. They don't have to do anything. You invite them. But also like when I say, okay, you can close your eyes or not, but some, it's important. It has to be equal. I also don't want to say like that, that not doing it is less good than doing it, right? You can just do what, what, what's appropriate to you. It's a bit the same for physical things, right? We also tell them don't do anything that hurts. Well, the same uh, applies for, of course, our mental, emotional well-being. Mm -hmm. And of course there's touch. So I would never approach any student uh, from behind. I will also always ask for permission. In martial arts, of course, there is a lot of touch. But if I want to teach or show something, I will always ask. Um, what is also important is that we do, our, our assistant coaches, of course, they learn as well to recognize. Like when somebody all of a sudden starts to associate, so they seem oriented or they start shaking or maybe crying or we realize something is off to bring them back in now. And then you can use briefing exercises like many that you learn from yoga um, or ask them where they are how they feel where they feel their jacket or all these kind of things to bring them back in the present and that are just skills that you can do and you don't need to be a therapist in order to do that because in the end we all we all deal with people we help people and also as yoga teachers you will also have many that um, have experienced trauma so it's important for us to realize that 
by giving them choice and to make sure that they really don't have to do anything, that they just can do what they do. And that you, you can say that you keep them safe, you'll watch out. So in Shavasana, usually I say, you can close your eyes or keep them open. Um, I'll be here and I watch over you. And for many, that's just a cue that they, that they can relax much more because then they don't need to be as alert as they normally would be. Mm-hmm. And that's how you step by step create like a safe learning environment. That will, yes. I would say, it's funny that you say that because I remember some of my earliest memories of being a teacher and sitting in front of the class watching people in Shavasana. I had this kind of innate sense that I was protecting them, not in a way that they couldn't protect themselves, but just that perspective that you have over a class when you're sitting in front of the class. I, I find that interesting that you bring that up. So, um, you know, as I'm listening to you talk, it's obvious that you're super passionate about this, that this is something that's really important to you. It's obvious that you're very um, educated and knowledgeable, but it also just comes from you. And, you know, when I interview people about whatever their area of expertise is, you can really tell when someone just lives and breathes their area of expertise, and you're definitely somebody like that. And so with that, and given that this is a pretty interesting niche. I mean, you're taking yoga as part of your background, along with the jujitsu, which is part of a whole world of martial arts. It's one specific area and then adding trauma informed. How did you end up here? So I started martial arts because I also wanted to, you know, to get my life back. But unfortunately, my first coach, even though I I explained to him that I have triggers. He did not understand it at all, which meant that the first six months, every time I would go back home, I would cry every time because I was kind of re-traumatized all the time because he just let me fight against big guys who do not want to lose from a girl and I'm tiny. And so imagine I'm sparring and I'm trying to, to, to survive from all their attacks because they're bigger, heavier, stronger, no more than me. And at the same time, I get flashbacks. So I'm fighting like a lot at the same time. And then I went for my studies to Oxford and then I went to a different BJ school and there the atmosphere was totally different. And not that they were per se trauma-informed, but they just understood smaller bodies. <laughs> and um, I just realized that it could also be so different. And that shifted something in, in me because then I started to, to, to thrive and I started to see changes in my mental well-being and that I just overall felt much better. And I thought, yeah, I want to protect other women as well, because they always say, oh, women, you should learn to defend yourself then when you get assaulted. Okay, fine. Then we go there. But then when we have coaches that don't keep us safe either, that we can't win that battle. So to me, it was important then to, um, uh, yeah, to create a safe environment myself. And also because we were at one point, my husband and I, and some years later, we were then teaching also a lot of women, young women. And I realized, yeah, it doesn't have to be this hardcore um, way. I mean, training is tough, but it can be in a trauma-informed way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, how does, and maybe it, it doesn't really bear itself out right now for you, although you have a background in yoga. I mean, you went through yoga training and, and was there a time, I mean, especially because a lot of the folks listening are yoga teachers, was there a time yeah. that you were filtering this trauma-informed approach through yoga teaching and then it went to the martial arts tell me a little bit about that it went kind of like the same at the same time because i'm teaching both so i did my training in india and uh, when we came back 
and opened our school. My husband and I, we taught yoga and martial arts and uh, both in a trauma-informed way. So we have um, quite many guys actually in our yoga class, which is funny. And we have really many women in our BJ classes, which is funny for us. It's like really the other way around. Yeah. But we have many people in our yoga classes that are like young parents who didn't sleep for like several years uh, and still work a lot. So there is a lot going on. We have some people also with burnout and what yoga just helps. I mean, that's maybe, I think, more interesting, actually. Like, so usually people say that with trauma, your um, your rational brain goes offline and your reptilian and limbic systems go online. That's the fight and flight. That's why they say that calming practices like yoga, meditation is so well, works so well. However, for people with trauma that tend to dissociate, it's, it's reversed. So their um, rational brain is in hyperdrive and their um, the lower parts of the limbic and the reptilian brain are underdeveloped. So for them, calming practices is actually the worst they can do. Instead, they need more active practices. So their Ashtanga or indeed martial arts work much better. So they need actually to wake up in order to, to balance that out. So usually we think, oh yeah, okay, trauma, they need to calm down, right? Um, in some, or actually many instances, it's not the case. So it, the, works look, the work looks different. And I think what martial arts can give, what yoga sometimes cannot, is indeed when you have people that cannot really sit still, that um, they need to be more active in order to find their calmness, martial arts is a better, uh, better sport to do. I mean, there are other, there's music, there's art, right? There's dancing, can be anything. But in the context of martial arts versus yoga, so to speak, uh, martial arts can sometimes be the better option depending what kind of in which way your trauma manifests itself got it so um with the studio that you have it sounds like you were just saying you offer both yoga classes and martial arts classes so if i were to come or someone were to come to a yoga class at your studio where this background or this underpinning of trauma-informed theme is there what does that feel like and look like versus another yoga class without that theme I think it's a lot is like speech, like how you talk, because I mean, I went also to some, you know, Iyeng, like, the, like the old school Iyengar is pretty militant. Yeah, it's really like do this, do that, da, 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 da. it has to be a specific way. But as we also know with anatomy, depending on your body type, things may look again very different. So that's the same for the emotional well-being. So when they come with us, um, I always ask how they are doing, doesn't matter whether they tell me truthfully or not but that they feel hurt that they that I care so I really try to connect with all the students and I also try to kind of feel the atmosphere of the room because sometimes when they come in I sense that they need some more active an active class and sometimes I sense oh no they need to calm down a little bit so I always prepare but sometimes I throw it out a window and do something completely different depending like what I sense is like what is um, a better better thing but I always invite them to do anything. And I also always say, you don't have to do anything, especially when you're a new student. I will ask, did you do yoga before? Uh, because sometimes I did. And I explain a little bit what type of yoga we do. It's an Ashtanga Yengar mix. But that said, for me, I don't care whether you can uh, reach your toes. I don't care when it looks aesthetically pleasing. It's about that we just start to feel our body because through the body, we can connect again so i explain some anatomy things also some historical things just to give them a little bit of context because we when you understand the context it's easier to feel a little bit or let me say it like that from many yoga is still very strange 
and I try to make it familiar. In this way, it's easier to calm down, to relax for them. Because when, when because imagine when you go in a totally different environment, that's a lot. That's all kinds of new impressions. And I want to explain a little bit. I also also say what is going to happen. That's very important that they are not surprised or that they don't, don't need to guess. So I say what the theme is, what we're going to do, how it looks like. As we start with a warming up for the for the body, and then you have to make maybe some sun salutations, these things, and then shavasana in the end, and then they're not surprised in, in, in a way or shocked. They know what's gonna happen. And especially in the beginning, when I have new students, of which I also know, I will repeat specific sequences a lot because they can, it may seem boring for some, but for others, they can find some, some anchor there, and that's where they really start to thrive. And then when you add other things, it works. So sometimes when they come in, I give them a handout with like um, some sun salutations or just some some exercises that they can bring home with them. So they have some stability. You want to give them some stability that they are like, okay, I feel stable and feel safe here. So I think that's how it looked like. I mean, it's an open space. Like we don't have this uh, uh, basement dojo. <laughs> like it's not dark. It's actually very light um, because our gym is really a family gym. But yeah, you, you walk into a martial arts school. That is true. And some find it very appealing because some are afraid that otherwise the yoga is so floaty and super spiritual. Some find that very scary, right? Um, even though we have our fair share. I mean, I don't say really say floaty, but I do talk about philosophy and history. But they some find it easier to start actually yoga in a martial arts school because they think then that we focus only on the physical part, which is definitely right. not true. But after a while, when they feel safe, you can teach them anything because then they're open to it. Right. So I picked up a lot of what you in what you just described that, you know, I think would be relevant for teachers teaching any kind of class. And I would love to see if if you could just kind of hone in a little bit on like for the listeners who aren't necessarily teaching trauma-informed yoga, however, might want to broaden their languaging skills and their cueing to incorporate just some of the themes that are really universal. Like, you know, when you talked about not approaching somebody from behind, even someone who hasn't gone through trauma of some kind, that might be something that's just startling to them. I also wonder as an adjunct, since so many people are teaching online and languaging now becomes really even more important because it's really all we have. We're not in the same room with them. It kind of heightens the importance, I think, of having really good language skills when you teach. And so if we incorporate, you know, just this acknowledgement that some of the people joining our virtual classes might have gone through trauma, how can we be a welcoming place to them? So any kind of language skills or things to be aware of, what do you think? So for the online, of course, that it's always fine to keep your camera off, obviously. And yeah. for some, actually, they prefer online because they don't have to go you know, see other people and they, do less, they feel less judged because people can't see them much. So I think many more tend, to, they love actually the online part. That's a great point. I mean, it's something I actually hadn't thought of that it might open avenues to people yeah. who otherwise wouldn't have gone to a, a brick and mortar. Yeah, it definitely lowers the, the threshold really to start because they can just, they can eat, they can switch off their camera and just look. They don't even have to participate, but they can have, they can get a feel for it, right? I love that. So usually we also, in our messaging, also try to to, to invite them. It's like, you can just have a look 
and see how it feels and see how how, how, how a class goes. Um, yeah, also people I know I don't have trauma, I would never touch them because touch is very, um, for instance so people have like all kinds of um preferences how you do or not do so of course always asking and also when you apart from cueing them uh into a specific uh, posture asana you can also ask them how that feels for them like i like to in specific to ask them to activate specific muscles because it also bring keeps them in the present, so to speak. But also, how how does it feel there? Or when they sit, do they feel that the sitting bones are reaching through the floor? Do they feel the mat? Do they feel the cloth touching their skin? These things, because I like them to start to feel more aware of that. Because also, when you don't necessarily have trauma, but but you're highly stressed because life, um, it can be very soothing to just realize how it feels like how you're yoga attire touches your skin or how it feels like when you do tree pose how you feel that your foot connects to your yoga mat so i ask them many questions how it feels and i really go a lot away of how it looks like and of course i give them many options and i always ask them to experiment because i find um for me Sometimes you don't know. I experienced myself that I saw friends of passion. I'm like, oh, I'll never be able to go and do it. But then I tried and actually it went very well. And other times I realized, I thought I could. And I'm like, no, not there yet. But that doesn't matter. But we only know by experimenting. So I also make very sure in my messaging that it doesn't matter. But do try because how do you know what works for you when you don't figure it out? And then when you realize that is not for you or not yet, that that's totally fine. So I, I like to keep it playful. Because when it becomes too serious and a bit too competitive, I mean, I have sometimes really, let's say, eyes on your own mat because what, what your neighbor is doing is really none of your business. But then when they experiment and they play, then they relax too because you don't get graded. Uh, it's totally fine. And I would say everybody has an own style. And I think that should not necessarily change because I like it that there's so many different teachers with different styles, but make sure that your students always have choice that if you touch them for, if you, if, if you, if, if you align them or adjust them or not, whether that's okay. Um, think about some, for instance, like music. Well, music can be very triggering to some. Um, so think about like, for me, it's very simple. Sometimes I don't even have a yoga mat and I just have normal clothes. Okay. Because to me, you just need yourself. So I also sometimes try to make that point that you really don't need a fancy mat, fancy clothes. As long as you have yourself, you're good to go. And we also, we don't have music. We don't have candles or anything. I mean, if you like that, please do. But at the same time, everybody is kind of like different. And I try to have like a pretty um, blank canvas so everybody can do it the way they want it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's yeah. Yeah, I think all of this is really helpful. And it kind of makes me think about prior to the pandemic and even in years past. And I don't know if we ever talked about this before, but I can recall in my initial teacher trainings in 2002 and 2003 and my initial experiences teaching in the early 2000s, the amount of hands-on touching was off the charts. And mm -hmm. I taught in the Baptiste studios and we were never thinking of it as being off the charts. We were just thinking of it as part of the teaching. And um, 
And when I stopped teaching there and I began teaching more in different studios, it really was more up to the teacher about how much they wanted to physically assist. I think, you know, and you, I'm sure know this as well, as things in the yoga industry became more transparent with regard to certain abuses of power that certain teachers were, were doing, um, it really started to bring the awareness level of teachers more to the forefront. And I remember there were those little things you could put in front of your mat, little chips. If you, I mean, there was this product proliferation that would be a way of communicating with the student uh, if they wanted to be assisted. Outside of what we're now in with the pandemic, if teachers are teaching in person, do you think there is any place for hands-on adjustments of any kind in any context, be it even an instructional type thing with permission from the student? Sure. I think, I think the thing is we should be open for the whole scope because some people love adjustments. They love it. So I would never want to try to take something away from Prodosa that it works. So it's like, um, I mean, I don't do many adjustments uh, adjustments in my classes simply also because the people I have, usually guys uh, from BJ people, they're super strong, but super stiff. So there's not, it makes no sense to adjust at this point. But also if I see that some things are not totally, as long as they don't injure themselves, I see no reason because usually after a few weeks when they also get to know the, the, the postures, they start doing it automatically. And um, I did it in the beginning because, of course, coming from an Ashtanga Iyengar, I, I did it a lot. But I also realized that often I found in the end, I'm like, it doesn't like it doesn't really matter that it looks aesthetically pleasing. I found more important that it feels good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You and, know, so, yeah, but, I, but I, I think when you ask and the person says yes, there's absolutely no reason to not do it. Right. Right. Okay. So it's, it's basically at the, just not discretion, but with the, as you said, with the permission of the student, then, then it becomes, Boys. you know, yeah. as long as then what you do is appropriate within the context of whatever of it you were going to do. Um, okay. So, so tell when you mentioned your studio is a family studio, and I know from looking at your Instagram page, you have a lot of pictures with kids. And I know we've talked before about that. Tell us a little bit about your work with children and how all of this bears itself out with kids. So the cool thing about kids is that when, so we have kids that are on the autism spectrum of ADHD, like we have like all of it. Um, and of course, kids, many that have been bullied because often they don't go to martial art when once they are being bullied. So we see every year in September in Germany, the school year starts in October, November, we get like run over because school started and it didn't go well for some kids right so that's we always know those two months we get so many new members um what we do with them the, the interesting thing about kids when when they're still so young they're way more open still like when you're an adult and you carry already these trauma with you for so many years um it takes longer and you have to be more gentle to kind of open it but for kids, they can jump, they can do that. It's easier. Not saying that the trauma is easier, but they are. In, they tend to be uh, more open. Um, so there you have, to, of course, the same thing. What do you do with touch? Well, it, they always say in yoga, kids yoga, you don't touch them at all, which we also kind of did. Um, but with the kids with martial arts, you do. Because some kids, 
they learn because some techniques are really pretty complex and the best way they learn is by feeling it because you have people that are they can listen very well some are very visual but some understand it when they feel it so there as well and also we roll with them too like we also fight with them so there it is also about trust but my husband and I were never alone like we're always with two and we are or if it's one of us we always have an assistant coach there and often there are like parents watching and these kind of things so yeah we touch them obviously we roll with them and we adjust them there that they do an armbar correctly and these things um, but we make sure that it's a safe environment that everybody is um, there and for kids martial arts is great because you have also often kids that are small for their age that then are being bullied but here they learn to stand up against bigger kids in the class, of course, and they and they do well. So then later at school, when, when somebody pushes them or whatever, it doesn't matter because they, they stand so firm. And if they push back, that's usually all that's needed to stop the bullying from happening. So one example, we have one boy, he was six. He was like really physically attacked at a, at the playground like several times. And he was just a shadow of himself, I would say. And he started training with us. And he's also really talented also, you know, that it's he and BJ, that's just one. So he's also talented, but still he's very small. But within a year, he started fighting internationally and he won. Not to mention that he was so small that the two kids he could fight with were 10 kilos heavier than he was. And still he won. So when he was on the podium, even though he stood on the number one, they were still taller than him, you know? So, but the thing is, he he got his life back. You know, he has now, you know, just this is a, a healthy big mouth, right? And he's like now he's like a VIP at the school, right? Everybody finds cool to hang out with him, also the older kids. Yeah. Um, but it's just nice, and also for people with kids with autism or any other, I wouldn't, yeah, good condition. Um, they're also safe with us. We understand that they just need different things. So often parents don't tell you because there are many other schools that don't take kids with that, which I find very, very sad. So that's why they don't tell us. But then, of course, after a while, you will realize it, and step by step, you figure out what works with them. So then also that they also realize that, you know, there is nothing wrong with them. Okay. They just need some different things. And after a while, then you don't even see the difference anymore. Mm. You know, I wonder, I mean, especially, you know, all over the world, I, I know certainly here in the United States, you know, the use of social media and of course, globally and how that impacts kids. You talk about bullying, you gave us this example. It, it makes me think a little bit about what is the ultimate goal in that example you shared, you talked about a child who was physically attacked and how after training with you, he was able to sort of stand his ground physically. Is that the goal with the kids? Is it to give them tools so that if they are physically attacked, they can fight back, which I think could potentially maybe lead to other scenarios in school where even though they were defending themselves, maybe they also get suspended or in trouble, quote unquote, what's kind of the goal? Or is it more inner confidence to withstand the bullying so they can just ignore it? I mean, it's hard to ignore it if you're physically getting attacked as a child, but tell us a little bit more about what that is. Like, are you training these kids to be fighters or what, what's really the, the idea there? 
So that depends, of course, a little bit what your definition of a fighter is, because some of us are highly competitive, so they go on competition. But of course, that's sport. They they don't do that on sc- at, at, at schoolyard. And um, we talk of them, of course, about what is what is appropriate, when is it appropriate, and when not. So of course, um, in gym, we always have sparring in the end, which is fighting, but with rules. They know what's allowed, when not. When somebody taps, they let go. And what we realize is that. When they get better at the art, they feel less, they don't, they don't really, they, they feel also, they understand they don't need it any, anyways, because their posture changes, their vibe changes. So they cease to, cease to be a victim, so to speak, or, or like somebody who could be a bullying victim. So just because their whole um, vibe and attitude changes, they, people are like, oh, better not mess with this one. Um, that said, at school, when somebody was being bullied and the kids still tried, usually all that was needed was just pushback. So one time they pushed him, he just stood stable because he stands stable these days and he just pushed back and that kid just fell on his butt and it was over. Like, it, it's like, I've been bullied myself and the only way for me to really end it was that I fought back. But it's also really about measure because the moment that, that you have control situation, it's over. So we also teach them that Say somebody really annoys you and you take him down and you control him on the ground. So BJ is great because it's without punching and kicking. It's really about controlling somebody. I mean, you don't need to strangle them, obviously, or break their arm. You can just have them in a controlling position on the ground. For us, it's important when you control the situation, then it's over. But none of our kids ever had to go that far. One push was all that's needed. And um, so most of it is mental, really, because when you believe and you're confident, people typically don't mess with you. Uh, and it helps just also that they know that if something were to happen, that they could. That's usually right. enough. It's same goes actually for adults. That's really not so different. Often it's really like uh, when you know that you could, that's usually enough. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, I, I a while ago, I had a, sh- a television show on a local community channel that was a wellness show. And I interviewed a guy here in Massachusetts who's a Krav Maga specialist. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I think I mentioned this to you, he offers free classes to women, at least he was, in, um, in a uh, part of Boston here, Charlestown in Massachusetts. And they were self-defense classes for women. And um, he would talk about what you just described in terms of the physical way you carry yourself being important. And when someone is looking, um, when an attacker is looking for a victim, they're reading body language as part of the evaluation. If there's four women walking on the street and one guy in a dark corner, he's looking for someone who is maybe physically giving off an air of, I don't know, how would you describe it? Unaware? Maybe unaware. Maybe you can see they're like on their phone, not aware of the surroundings, maybe looking down, just like, you know, shoulders slump. Because when you look up, you know, shoulders back, and you know, you look forward. Um, you have a completely different air than when you make yourself small, right? So I also sometimes tell also our students, sometimes fake it till you make it, yeah? because um, I also do when I know I feel bad, because everybody, sometimes you just feel bad. I still kind of, I wouldn't say force myself, but like I stand tall because usually you feel better after a while because you open up, you open up your body. Um and yeah, you give out still, if you feel like totally horrible, you still give up a different, different vibe. So that's indeed very important um, because they do, they do look, I mean, most of, most of the domestic or most of the sexual assaults happen with somebody, you know, so this kind of hit and run, they happen 
but they are way, way, way less than them. So in our self-defense courses, for one, it's usually it's an eight-week course. And I always say this is nothing more than an introduction. I think, I think it's very important to stress that, that, that when you go for this course, doesn't mean that all of a sudden you can defend yourself. If you want to do that, you should enroll into a martial arts school and train for life. That's really, that's, that is, I think, really important to stress. And um, what we therefore do is that we don't teach them the perfect techniques, whatever that may be, but about the perfect response. So what we aim for is widening their window of tolerance by um, having all kinds of games. We play games and we, you know, level them up that they have to, to see, can they still think whilst under stress in a safe environment? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is like kind of like what you want, because you have people that may be trained for a long, you see this a little bit in the Budo martial arts, so more like the old school karate, kung fu, is that they tend to do forms. It looks beautifully, but since they never spar, they don't apply it. If somebody were to resist, they have a problem. Right. They have no tool. They have no tool because they have no, they can, they have knowledge, but they can't apply it. Whereas when you come from boxing, Muay Thai, Judo, wrestling, BJJ, MMA, where you always have sparring, like for us, like also our kids, when they sleep or when they get up, they get up, they do a technical stand up, right? Like it's already so in their ingrained in their bodies, like they don't need to think about it, which also means that if they were suddenly attacked, chances are very high that even when they think about it or not, their body will react which of course in self-defense situation is when possible, always run away, always, no matter how good you are, always run away. Only if you really can't, if you really have to, that you then can. So we really focus on that response. So we want to kind of train them in stressful situations so that if they, I mean, of course, it's never the same as real life, obviously, but that if they come there, that they, at least they already been there a little bit. Yeah. That's like where they come from. Yeah. Cause I mean, honestly, I mean, I think the thing, I mean, notwithstanding if someone has a weapon, if someone is attacking you without a weapon, they always have the upper hand when they have the element of surprise, but the more you have trained in different scenarios, the shorter I would imagine your response time is to elevate your response to meet that person and to potentially overtake them. Exactly. So just to give an example, like how, how we can also overfeed the brain without having to like punch people in the face. It's like um, we have exercises where somebody holds like a kicking pad and you have like three people around it. And every time when I say switch, somebody else really has to give everything they have, elbows, punch, whatever, knees, whatever they want. Every time I say switch, the other person immediately has to go. Meanwhile, somebody else walks around and if they touch them, that they also have to be aware where is basically the attacker. So they also have to make sure that whilst they do that, they have to make sure that they remain in safety. In addition to that, you built this up, then the person holding it gives them mathematical equations. So as they are kicking and punching, they have to solve mathematical equations and they have to keep an eye out from the people that are walking around and try to hit. And this is such a mind overload. And it's really hard also when you do this with professionals, when they never did this before, it's for them also really hard. But when you train that, you kind of like widen the window of tolerance. So this is the question. How well can you still think whilst being hyper aroused? Right, right. And the next part, of course, is that once you are hyper aroused, how easily can you also calm down again? Mm-hmm. That are like the two things, what we do. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, certainly the scenario is crafted 
but the nervous system and cognitive skills that you're building in people. I mean, you know, I, I'm sure I don't have kids, but I'm sure anybody that has kids that's listening to this is like, God, I do that all the time. I'm trying to make breakfast and answer text messages and my kids crying and, you know, and, and our ability to rise to that level of input and still mm-hmm. focus and function to some extent is an amazing skill to have. So Yep. And this is what we do with the kids as well. So we also, we also give them life skills, right? That we give them a, a sheet where they just in, 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 in the course of one month that they should make their bed seven times, or they should help their parents with something and the parents can tip this off. And then when they sign it, they can give it back and they get like a colored stripe on their belt. So we also do like these life skill things, or sometimes we ask them to do something nice for, uh, you know, somebody in school or like just these kind of life skill things we also add in. So it's not just simply teaching them how to fight or how to defend or whichever language you prefer. Um, but it's, it's more than that. It's we, we, we want to, for us, a martial artist is different than a fighter. And we want martial artists and martial artists can also fight, but right. a fighter you have to see it in the MMA. Some guys are amazing fighters, but when you think of their morals, they're a bit wanting there. And we want just young, strong individuals that are really compassionate and loving. And we use martial arts as a and trauma-informed teaching as the method, so to speak, to to support them in a system there, but you know, to the best of our ability. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we were Ben and I were just flipping through the TV the other night, and we came across the original Karate Kid episode. Mm-hmm movie. And when Ralph Macchio was so sick and tired of painting and sanding and all of this, and then Mr. Miyagi pulls it all together and shows mm-hmm. him that the movements he's doing when he's painting is a martial art. And all of a sudden you see his face change. And he's like, I didn't realize all these things. I mean, he's not saying this literally, but he's realizing that all these chores that the elder was asking him to do were really mimicking movements and building the mental discipline and the habit building and all of the spiritual shifts that he needed um, to develop, to be, as you say, a martial artist, not a fighter. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And that's like what we do because in the end we like concepts and skills rather than just simply techniques, because it's a bit the same with like dog training. We have this puppy, like if we, yes, she, she can give, give Paul, she can do all these things, but can she still do it when she's hyper aroused? This is the question. Because if she can only do it when there are no distractions, it's nothing more than a party trick. <laughs> you want her to be able to sit when, I don't know, a train comes by, fireworks go, she sees she's a hunting, she's a hunting dog. So when she sees, I don't know, a, a bird flying up, can she still come back and sit? Does she still listen or does she then flush out this bird? And right. it's it's a bit the same what we want from our uh, our, so our, our our students so what we also sometimes do is we have a specific tape to tape to tape their mouth shut what it does is that it forces them to breathe through their noses so they activate the parasympathetic nervous system it's also a, a an oxygen advantage they also use it to teach to optimize your your breathing performance so you'll become a better performer I mean, apart from the fact that the kids are quiet, which is once in a while also very nice, the parents love it. They always are like, please keep it on. Um, what you see with kids is that all of a sudden, when and, and they're still sparring, yeah, so they're fighting, all of a sudden they do the most amazing stuff. Why? Because they're calm. Because when the person when when you are calm, you will make the right decision, you will do the right stuff. It's when we are aroused that we tend to, you know, usually make wrong decisions, or at least decisions not good for us. And you can see this immediate thing. So what was interesting was that we did it a few times with the kids, 
And at one point, it was one of these, sometimes you have a day that they're just all crazy. Like, they don't want to be, but they just are. And, they, and they're actually apologetic about it. So what they did was that they came to us and they requested whether they could have this tape because they indeed train better and it gave them more joy. Why? Because they feel calmer. You feel better, right? So we gave them again this tape and it's amazing. I mean, from one, actually from one moment to the other, they're just only fooling around and you're like, oh my God, I don't know whether they ever will be able to do a number. And then next minute they hit an arm bar like beautifully and it's just a change in the nervous system and so we so we, with adults too i mean with adults especially with bit big guys they tend to use only strength so they get like a red hat and they start kind of hyperventilating running with breathing so we also just tape their mouth so they have to breathe through their noses and then you realize they cannot explode out as much they they, they have to do things calmer but therefore they also do things better so this is like a heck, you know, like we always explain to parents, like that it's not some sort of child bondage or anything, um, but usually they laugh. They're like, no, 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 please keep it on. They're like, we should have, we should do this also at home. And of course, in martial arts, with the uh, we always start with a meditation and we end with a meditation. Very short. Um, just like old school, like Japanese way. And um, the kids say the commands. And sometimes some kids like to meditate for for a minute some just for i don't know 10 seconds doesn't matter but the cool thing is they come in and they run around like chicken without heads but the moment we say line up and they do it they're quiet and the parents are always like how is this possible right but for them it's a way to set their intention to calm down and that they're ready for class and also afterwards it's ready that the class is over and then they can go home. And it's, I find always amazing how they just, how, how, how you can sense how their, the energy just. Yeah. Comes yeah, for sure. I've taught kids for many years and there are definitely classes I've walked into and been like, how the heck, you know, and you have to sort of, it's like, you're kind of, it's almost like having a puppy. You have to kind of manage the energy, but you know, an intention of where you want to get them and you're just kind of coaching them to get there. Um, so tell us about your training other people to, okay. so tell us, tell us, about, you know, you have a training program, I believe where you're training. So tell us like what kinds of people are coming to take that training and how is that training set up? Yes. Yeah, so we have another, um, say company online is called off the zone. And there we have a program called called Thrive Drive. So, so basically, you have to the drive to thrive. It's uh, specifically designed for martial artists to become trauma informed coaches. It's a six week program. I mean, you can take as long as you want, but like uh, we have then group uh, every week we have a theme, and then there is a group coaching call and one one one, and they, there are some quizzes and assignments that I also know that they have understood it, and then afterward they can then become trauma-informed which is like the first ever in martial arts and yoga that's already more established but the martial arts not and uh, what we do of course is explain what trauma is and how it can manifest and how you can recognize it that's like very important like um and we we have like case studies like we had this happening to us all of a sudden two teenage girls start crying on the mat and they disappeared in the locker okay then the question is what do you do also, when you're a guy, for instance, what do you do? You can't just walk into a girl locker room. So maybe you send somebody out. What, what do you do? So we talk about the steps, what to do, and then say, I was there, so I 
knocked and I asked whether I could come in. They said yes. And I asked whether they wanted to tell me what was going on, if I could help them. So I tried to first accommodate them that they feel safe. And then they told me the story that uh, their classmate had commit, committed suicide the day before. And yeah, it just all came together and they just had to cry. And what, what is just helpful is to just tell them that it's normal that they cry because often they feel like a bit ashamed mm-hmm. that they show their emotions. So things like it's normal, you know, of course mm-hmm. you feel sad. Of course you cry about it. Right. And um, ask them, of course, bring tissues, these things, um, but ask whether, you know, I should have called, called the parents or they want to stay here. Just what, what is their choice? And then when they choose something, then that's then what you do. So we have, and there, I mean, there are many other examples, but it's like one example, like we all go for these examples. Of course, we go through safeguarding measures, which especially in the BJ world is severely lacking because we don't have a umbrella organization or anything. So everybody can just start a BJ school and can do whatever. So the problem right now is that many, especially Brazilian black belts use their gym as a dating pool. And uh, there's, a, there's now many sexual harassment problems also with minors. So it's really there. We also go really deep into safeguarding, like how do you create a safe environment? And also how you can also already on your website, when people are looking at how they can sense like this is a safe environment. How can you, how, how do you realize this is a toxic gym? This is a healthy gym, these kind of things. Um, a lot about, the, of course, the, the vagus nerve, parasympathetic nervous system, how you do that, what, what do you do when somebody has an, an acute traumatic flashback on the mats? It can happen when you roll, for instance, it can happen. It's also on boom, you trigger something. What do you do? How do you bring them back? The do's and don'ts, like don't touch them, don't uh, because you don't know where they are, don't ask them what happened because you don't want them back. You want, you know, you want them back in the present. Um of course, briefing exercises, these things. And um, we also teach them about, of course, stories, beliefs, how we as coaches can shift limiting beliefs that we also help them there. Because in the end, it's it's good when you can bring your student back, but it's better when we can somehow support them in, chasing, in changing certain limiting beliefs so that yeah. that's like the thing, like it's good when I give them a fish, it's better when I teach them how to fish without being uh, remaining in my jurisdiction because I'm not a therapist but there are things when they because many come and they're like I'm not good enough or I don't I don't want to be the odd one out you know when they have a flashback they often feel horrible because they don't want to be seen as weak or anything so to make sure that they are not weak at all and they're not seen like that that is for them like oh wow they feel accepted and not judged and that's so important and that's already changes their their beliefs and then they can make a big breakthrough for themselves through martial arts so we teach them also how you can do it like uh, just strategies how to do it and of course later also how you do uh, if you do a specific seminar or a martial arts course so for for women for instance i would always recommend that it's a woman that teaches or like that you have the woman as the head instructor simply because i know many i know many guys that they're like okay they would teach them and i know they mean well but if they do not understand what it is to be one kind of and what you go through it's hard for them to mitigate that so often they still go over boundaries um so it's important to have like a female instructor you can have assistant instructor like men to make the situation more real kind of but since they play that role it's also easier for women then that come to understand that role because there's a woman over them that kind of manages all that and um especially when you have a group we also do that when i have really a group 
where, where you have women with trauma, then I also work with uh, therapists and psychologists. So then they are present, usually their own. So that would be like, and then we really talk about severe trauma, like where the trigger is still very huge, but they just need something that they just want to be able to at least be touched or that they dare to go, you know, into a metro station, these things. Right. Um, and for yoga, it's the same. I mean, like uh, then our trauma-informed teacher, Danielle Beck, also when she offers trauma-informed uh, classes, there is always a therapist uh, or psychologist present that if something happens, you know, it's safe. So it depends a little bit like what you want. Like in a regular class, it's totally fine when you just know the, the basic principles of trauma, how you can recognize it and what you can do when something happens. When you do these things, you're it's it's fine. Because again, I mean, we know that what? seven out of 10 people will experience trauma at least once in their lifetime. So that means that if I have 100 students, 70 students at one point will have it anyway. So you, you can kind of know that they will have it also when they don't tell you. So that's why I think for any teacher, regardless of what kind of sport or art it is you teach, I think it's helpful to just learn about the basics of trauma, like how you can recognize it and what to do. When you do that, I think you'll be amazed, even when they will never tell you how many people you really, really help and impact um, majorly. Um, that said, if you want to go really deeper in it and you want to have a specific group of say women or people with trauma, then I, then I would always advise to have a um, medical, as a mental health professional present that together you can work. I mean, when you have several and they have their own uh, therapist, even better because then you can really tailor make like what a given person needs because every person needs different things. Um, and then you can really make huge progress because it's basically one-on-one -on -one. but then really if you want to go that far be sure that you have uh mental health professionals with you because again i mean when you're licensed that's one thing but i'm not and when you're not like that's not our 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 expertise and then we should also not meddle with that got it so all right so i i love how we've gone into all these different areas especially it's not often that i speak to someone who works with both children and adults so that's been really cool um i do want to just have a special mention and you notice noted this before that your husband is also a teacher with yeah. you so the two of you own the studio together right yeah correct and does he teach similar to yourself yeah he does i i find he is uh even way better than I am with kids because he's so um, spontaneous. Like he can think of things. I'm like, what? Like he just, it's just amazing. And he, I mean, they love him. But what is cool is that um, we have both, we're both there. So with teenagers, it's very fascinating. Sometimes teenage men want to come to me and not to him. And sometimes the teenage women prefer to go to him. And sometimes it's also reversed. So the cool thing is, is that also for kids or for adults or teens, like there's always somebody that can come to because they feel sometimes I maybe understand it better. And sometimes they think that my husband understands it better. So they have choice again. And that's, I think, what is what is cool. So yeah, he's uh, he's also an MMA fighter and, um, and a yoga teacher. We did that all together. So um, yep, that's, that's, that's great. Awesome. What is it? Um, I mean, my boyfriend, I, he's my boyfriend, but we've been together for almost 14 years at this point. So a long time. I can't even imagine being in business with him. <laughs> We're very, very different. Um, what's it like having this proximity, both in life and being and relationship? And I mean, you don't have to go into it too, too much, but it's it's rare that I have someone on the show who can speak to that dynamic. 
Well, it's funny indeed, because when we went to India, we were the first couple, then we were girlfriend, boyfriend, we were indeed the first couple on a teacher training. So that was also first for them. But I think um, we're both born in January, like we're like also from the same year. So in many ways, we're similar and in other ways, also very different, but we both need our space, but we also give it to each other. So we don't feel therefore neglected or anything. And of course, I mean, it's martial arts in the end. So, I mean, we can kind of fight it out if we have anything. So it's like, you know, but I mean, I mean, I say it in, in, in earnest, but like we can also roll and sometimes but rush, uh, rougher and sometimes like we were gentle, but there are ways that we can also vent our frustration in that regard. But most of all, I think it's very harmonious because like I'm more um, the, the manager, the organizer um, and a bit more the, you know, talking, writing, coming from my in my, back, my background in, in history and my PhD, like that you learn these kind of skills. And he is uh, an electrical engineer. So he's really, I'm more like the alpha, like more like the, the humanity side. And he's really more like the exact side. And that is just perfect. So how he approaches things and how high is sometimes different, but that's why it's just the best of both worlds, I would say. So that's why I think it works very well because he's just, I mean, he programmed our website and the app and all these things. I would even not know how to do it. So when we teach, usually we do say, who is the main coach? So if I teach, then I show it with him and he can, of course, add his thing, but it's clear that I'm leading this class. And when he does it, then he, then I'm, of course, I take like a back seat and I also keep my mouth shut, right? So that's kind of like these things, which we also had to learn because sometimes we both want to like share everything we wanted, right? And that sometimes then we got into, you know, discussion a bit or a fight, but in the end, I have to say, though, if we get in a fight, it's usually because we are hungry. Because then usually when we eat, then there is actually no problem anymore. I have to say that. But yeah, it works really well. But it's also because we are very clear upon what do I what what is what is my expertise and what is his. And like that, you don't you don't bother each other so much. Yeah, that's great. I think that's uh, that's really great. So as we wrap up here, give us um, a sense of how, like, I know your training is focused on people who are skilled in teaching martial arts and want to add the trauma informed. Is there any avenue or resource that you have for yoga teachers listening who might be interested in the trauma informed expertise and knowledge that you have? So what I teach is definitely also applicable for yoga teachers. So safeguarding measures also in your studio is the same as like, you know, that it's normal that guys go in the guy locker room and women and women that they don't like, I had these experiences, right. That I was just the only woman. So I was showering and the guy forgot already. He was like, Oh, I can go into the girl locker too, because then there's additional shower. And then I stood there. Right. So there are just certain things like for boundaries. That's very good. Also the, uh, the information about trauma itself. That is, that is regardless of what you teach. And of course, later, and also how you change meaning, that's also all the same. So basically it would be then like one week that I really go deeper into when you create a course, but also there it's about, I give examples about how you um, play with arousal, calming down these things. I mean, also in, in, when you have a bit more an active Ashtanga or an arm balancing class, it are still concepts that work. So um the concepts you can definitely use and then you can use it on anything that you teach. So yes, of course, I say a bit more about the martial arts world, but if that's not bothering them, um, yeah. they will learn all they need to know for their yoga classes. Yeah. So how do people access that? Like, how can they find out more about that program? So we have, so on, on Instagram, we have off the zone. 
and also off the zone.com with like these um how are they called these um like a link yeah in, in in the website like it's not off the zone one word but like off and then i have the I oh, just, the, the hyphen yes the hyphen and then the and then hyphen zone.com yeah. and i'm gonna put a link in the show notes for oh, that would be awesome thank you very much um in january the end of january this year this month we will launch again and we will also do like uh, a um, um, a self study one, so you can exit it always. You won't get a trauma informed uh, certificate then because you didn't work with me uh, directly and you didn't do the quizzes and stuff. Um, but then you get the uh, all the uh, the lectures and all the information. So that's enough. Like if you don't desire to become a trauma informed coach certified, I totally get that. Um, then all you need to know you'll get in that course with self study as well. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think for teachers out there who are interested in the neuroscience piece of it, the learning about the nervous system, the application of this information to teaching yoga, they wouldn't necessarily need to do the live version. They could do the self-study yeah. one and learn all the information and have it inform their teaching, which I think is so important. So yeah, so I will definitely link up in the show notes to your website and your Instagram handle, which is great. I've been following that. So I want to thank you so much. This was so, so great. And I learned a ton. And again, I just love being around your energy because it's so obvious that you're just so passionate about this. And um, I could really see like all of, even just the piece about kids, just being like a franchised idea in, in so many different places that could provide value to children, especially where you talk about kids with ADHD and other other cognitive challenges, um, you know, so who knows, maybe in the future, that'll, that'll be something that, that, that happens and it would certainly be, be wonderful. So, well, thank you so, so much. It's funny. I, um, as I've been chatting with you, it's getting dark behind you out the window <laughs> because you're five hours ahead of me. Here we are in the middle of the day. It's just kind of interesting. It's the way the world works, but it's always funny when you kind of see it. it's dark behind you. Now you're coming towards the end of the day. So thank you so, so much. It was great to see you. And um, I am sure I will see you and connect with you again really soon. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I am very honored and also very thankful that I could, uh, you know, share um, with you. And uh, yeah, so thank you very much. And yeah, it's just, I'm every time so thankful when I also can share the passion because I know so many more people will benefit from it in one way. If it's with me or somebody else, it doesn't matter, but just that the word gets out. It's just important. Yeah. Absolutely. Such important stuff that you shared. So thank you again. And I will be sending you the link. This will probably go live today. So I'll oh. be sending you the link. Yeah, we awesome. work fast around here. I don't have like a backlog. So I love to get them up as soon as as soon as possible. All so right. all right. Awesome. Well, I will be chatting with you through the email. I'll send you the yes. link shortly. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Have a lovely day. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Before you go, I want to let you know about a new mini course I just created as of October 2021. It's called the Yoga Anatomy Blueprint Learning Program mini course. It's essentially an introductory version to my signature program that teaches you anatomy so that you grow your confidence in sharing cues and sequences and in all those conversations you have with your students. 
If you're like some of the yoga teachers I speak to, you might feel as if you don't have the time to do my full program. That's one of the main reasons I created this mini course, which will give you all the same steps in my signature blueprint approach to teaching you anatomy and will allow you to complete it in much less time. There are 10 modules each of about 10 minutes each, and the entire program walks you through mini lessons from the larger program. You'll leave with specific new skills that you can start to use right away. You may also leave with a keen interest in enrolling in the larger program because your curiosity and confidence have been stoked. For you, the podcast listener, I'm offering $5 off the purchase price of the mini program, which is just priced at $27, so the cost will go down to $22 for you. Once you complete the mini course, you'll see in the next step section how to get a $50 credit to put towards the larger program should you decide to invest in that in the future. To purchase the mini program, visit my website at barebonesyoga.com, click the link for online courses, and select the mini course link. When you check out before you enter your credit card, enter the code podcast, and you will receive the $5 off. I hope you enjoy the program. I hope it stokes your curiosity and builds your confidence. Namaste.